Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from Bloomington, Indiana is Todd Haw. Todd is Associate Professor of Business Law and Ethics at the Kelly School of Business at Indiana University and a board member and Jesse Fine Fellow for the Pointer Center for the Study of Ethics in American Institutions. First, Professor Haw, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Thanks, Adam. Uh, happy to be uh, chatting with you. Happy to have you. So you're a big proponent of nudges. And, uh, you know, something people have talked about, though generally not within the compliance and ethics perspective. People tend to talk about it more in the general uh, sense of it. So I'm hoping we can start by defining what a nudge is. For example, are we discussing nudges like little prods or the Yiddish nudges, uh, which involves constant nagging? <laughs> uh, well, it's, so it's funny you bring up the idea of, of nudging uh, or nudging. Uh, John Hasness, who is a professor at Georgetown, uh, wrote a great little piece on nudging. And he starts out with exactly that question, sort of trying to uh, define nudges versus uh, the, the Yiddish term. So, so a nudge is basically a, a push or a prod that takes advantage of a choice architecture. And, and what it essentially is doing is trying to push people in one direction in their decision making by structuring the environment in which choice is made. And, and I'll explain a little bit of that in a second, but I also want to clarify that I'm a big fan of nudges, but I'm really more than that, a big fan of just the use of behavioral science generally in ethics and compliance. And nudges are one component of that. Well, behavioral science, I, I agree with you. You know, we've talked about that before, that I think it's just a tremendous field for us to leverage because we're really in the business of influencing people's behavior. And that's what behavioral science really is good at eliminating or illuminating. So you talked about the fact that what did you say was architecting decisions? I think was the um, term you used. Yeah, sure. Yeah, we can think about uh, about choice architecture, essentially choice architecture. the environment in which choice is made, and and that's what nudges do, and really all behavioral science in some ways does is says let's understand that environment, and then you know let's use it to our advantage to do exactly what you're talking about, which is is influence behavior in a, in a positive direction. So. I know we're trying to influence it in a positive direction, but given that we're sort of, you know, th this technique structures choices for people um, and takes advantage of certain cognitive tricks in terms of the way humans make decisions, are they ethical? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. It's a really important question. Um, so the way that I think about this, so first of all, I would, I would recharacterize, recharacterize a little bit about tricks. I would say, we are all um, you know, susceptible uh, and we all have certain cognitive limitations and obstacles. And so what nudging or behavioral science does is says, let's understand those and then let's use those to our advantage. Now, when we think about to our advantage, I think that's where you get the questions about ethicality. So the first one is to whose advantage, right? Are we, you know, if, if we're structuring the way that choice is made, that means somebody is doing that structuring. And so you really have to look at what their motives, uh, what, the, what their motives are. And so the way that I think about this is in, in the way that nudging is set up to be pro-social and positive, as opposed to what Richard Thaler, who came up with this idea of nudges, he would call sludge or sort of the, the <laughs> bad use of choice architecture 
is we want to think about what are the costs on the autonomy of the person or groups being nudged. And so there are different levels of nudges. Some take advantages of, of things that most everyone would be excited about, and some might be more questionable. And so we got to think about the cost and autonomy, and then also what's sort of the ends that we're after. And so long as the cost and autonomy are generally low and the ends are positive, most people are uh, get behind this idea of nudges or the use of uh, behavioral science in order to drive, say, ethicality or something else in a company. Okay, good explanation. Now, in general, how can compliance and ethics teams use nudges within their programs? Yeah, so there's a, a huge amount of options. So we can think of basically, you know, every step in a process as an opportunity to insert a, a behavioral science intervention, including a nudge. And so, um, you know, if we think about nudging a little bit broader, basically what we're trying to do is figure out all, are there small interventions into these existing processes that can be influenced by a, a different uh, behavioral science tools? Usually that ends up being only a few things that will kind of cover a lot of areas. So for example, uh, defaults is a big one, uh, how we frame things, or even how we simplify a process or a, a message or what have you. So if you think about applying that in the context of ethics and compliance, there are a, a, a lot of things that ethics and compliance officers do and use that are sort of process-based. And so what we can do is think about, all right, what behaviors do we want to influence? What processes go to those behaviors? And then how might we insert a nudge, for example, in order to influence the behavior of people within this set of processes? Okay, so that's kind of like a big, a big overarching answer, but let me give you something a little bit more uh, specific. So uh, I was working with a, a, a company. Um, they had a, uh, the concern of the problem that um, people uh, on their hotline, employees on their hotline uh, were filing uh, anonymous reports. And so that's a good thing oftentimes, but a non-anonymous report is a lot easier to investigate and verify. And so we did a little workshop and, and try to figure out, are there ways to maybe drive up non-anonymous reporting so you could actually uh, you know, remedy the problem and, and increase uh, compliance overall? And they went through, a, a, came up with a number of great options, uh, but one really simple one is uh, just resetting the default on their online program to to say that we're going to have a non-anonymous report as opposed to an anonymous one. So you could still click off that default, right? That's what allows the nudge to work and not be uh, required, right? Which makes it a true nudge as opposed to a rule or a ban or something like that. Uh, but that drove up non-anonymous reporting by about 5%. Uh, and so that's a great example of just a simple change in a process that ends up having a pretty big result on behavior. Well, it's a good example that this is really about, like you say, prods. It's not about dragging people into doing things that they wouldn't normally want to do. I love that example that you just gave. Are, are there some others you can give of ways nudges have been put to use in positive ways for ethics and compliance programs? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we can think about um, nudges, at least nudges as it goes to ethicality and ENC. 
I try to put them in kind of three different buckets. So you can think about um, a, a deliberation prompt. Uh, that's a that's a big one, sort of a deliberation nudge. Think about a harnessing nudge, and we can think about a trigger nudge. And so there's examples in all three of those, but I'll give you a, a really common one, um, straightforward a deliberation prompt might be a, um, a message or even say a checklist, for example, that would be delivered to the employee right before the moment of, uh, of compliance risk, or at least at, at the time that's close, close as possible to when compliance risks might be created. So we could think about, for example, um, someone's gonna go overseas on a, a business trip and that's gonna create a bunch of compliance risk. When they uh, fill out their um, you know, uh, travel request form, for example, uh, we might have a pop-up that would remind them of some of the things that they should remember as they're going on traveling. And we could think about that from data security to uh, concerns about um, you know, uh, spend to concerns about meeting with foreign officials or anything like that. So it's a, a prompt that's designed to create more deliberative thinking and it's aimed and delivered at the time that it's the most effective. That's a good example of, of a nudge. That's a great example because, you know, as you know, it's timely and it makes sure it's top of people's minds before they go. So let's say a compliance team were to embrace this approach. How could they create a nudge? Yeah, so it's actually easier than you think. It takes a little bit of guidance, um, but the, the best sort of plan or tool is essentially to start with, you, you kind of want to reverse engineer uh, from the desired behavior back through the process to get to get to that behavior. And then you can figure out where to, uh, you know, intervene using behavioral science or nudges. So what I do with uh, organizations is sort of help them understand kind of the behavioral map, right? What are all the chains or, or links of that chain to the desired behavior? And then where can we influence or where can we um, input things? So, uh, so that's just a matter of sort of brainstorming and mapping that out. And then uh, a little bit of experimentation about what are some possible nudges that you could put into play. And then of course, the real question always is testing. So once we put a behavioral science intervention into play, We've got to be able to test it and see if it actually works. If it does, great. If it doesn't, we'd want to go back and refine things and, and then retest and see if we, we have our, our nudges being effective uh, going forward. Well, and that leads into my last question that I really did want to ask you, which is this whole question of auditing and monitoring and testing is how can we tell it's effective? Is it something that's in general that you look for or does it tend to be specific to whatever the risk area and nudge is? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you, nudges are really the most effective when they're highly, highly targeted. And so a, a problem that often has people run into when they try to start using these tools is they go way too broad. So you can't say, you know, create a positive corporate culture through doing a nudge, right? You have to be really, really targeted. So think back to that, um, you know, think back to the non-anonymous reporting example. That's really trying to just influence people on a website at one moment in time. And so we, we use a, a default in order to do that. So the way we can, we can test that, of course, is we can understand the levels of anonymous or non-anonymous reporting uh, before you do the intervention. 
and then you can do the intervention and then you can you can test again sort of a simple simple test that way the other more sophisticated way is to have a control group if if your behavior is one that allows two groups and then you in, you introduce the intervention with one group and you keep the control and you test against each other you see what the change is that's a that's a better way to do that but it doesn't take super sophisticated methods uh, and particularly because you're often uh, using you, know, you have a lot of employees at your disposal many large companies you can get a pretty good sense of whether a nudge is going to work and whether it's having impact and then you can roll it out larger if, if it's doing so and that's really what's important about this work is it's supposed to be behavioral science not behavioral intuition and it gives us another way to actually test in order to see you know what we're doing in ethics and compliance is it actually working or is it just you know intuition well and we certainly want it to work and uh, you know it's interesting you're talking about this is the sort of duality of it's best when it's targeted but it's also best for measurement if you're at a large organization and can compare what's working and what isn't well uh professor hot thank you so much for sharing these insights with us today i want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen I'm Adam Chirtletaup from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective.